0: Hello and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Gene Pellecchio, and this week I am joined by one of our more recent Ears playwrights, Ian Cohen. Thank you so much for talking to me today.
1: Great to be here.
0: Um, We're going to have a very, very uh, unique experience today because unlike our past episodes, this will be the first episode of The Trumpet to feature the words of the playwright, Provided by the playwright, so I'm really excited to hear uh, those words from you. Um, I'm excited but without to further it. ado, let's just jump right into it. Um, just talking about you, because uh, as much as I loved the specific play in mind, I'm really uh, interested to know where you come from theater wise. So, can you please tell us a little about your theater background?
1: Um, I I grew up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, Coney Island. I, um, I always, um, playwriting came, well, it's interesting, you know, um, I was in, I was an actor and, um, I always wrote, I was in a band, I played music in a band and sang in a band, I did all this stuff. And, um, I started my acting teacher the late Julie Bavasso. um, uh, thought that I I showed signs of being a good a good writer, so I started to work on a play, but there were no computers back then, and every time I I made a mistake, it would drive me crazy. Like I'd go like like I'd, I'd write a monologue, and then I'd hear that there were lines that could go in between the monologue that someone could be talking to this guy as he's saying this his his piece, and then I'd have to rip the page out and up th- again and. Well, I, I just couldn't handle. I couldn't handle all the paper. I know it sounds so shallow, but I just. But I. St- when computers came around in the eighties, and in the in the nineties, actually, um, we had we had our first child, and uh, I couldn't go away. Didn't want to go away. Didn't want to act. I wasn't really into it, and I started to. To, to write, I wanted to, to write something. I was invited to join a group called The Workshop. And I joined as an actor, and uh, they were doing something called The Family Project where they wanted actors to bring in stories about their family. So I wrote a monologue that my father used to say to me when I was um, a teenager falling asleep and he was disappointed in my career choice, you might say, being an actor and being in a band and all of that.
0: Oh, none of and, us artists uh, know what that must be like.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So uh, I wrote this thing, and uh, people really responded to it. And then I started writing more. And I, and, and I got to a point where I couldn't stop writing. I just wrote all the time. I, I wrote everything that came into my head. I, I must have written, I guess the first draft of this play, the first, my very first play was written in about, I'd say, less than a month. Less wow. than a month. Because it, it, was, it was a torrent. It was something it just it just poured out.
0: And, that kind of uh, reminds me of something a, an old professor of mine once said. Um, it was someone who taught many of the people in ERP. Uh, her name was Ingrid DeSanctis. Her name still is Ingrid DeSanctis. I don't know why I quantified it in the past. But um, <laughs> she made a really bold statement about theater. And she basically said that the way to do well in theater... And the way to know that you're going to do well in theater is that you have this drive, this desire where you are unable to do anything else. You are unable to, you know, live without theater. And that's definitely how I am as an actor. Um, I'm curious because I know you're uh, normally my next question is do you wear any other theatrical hats? Um, you're very clearly a writer, but I, you did say something about acting before. Do you have, uh, do you have any directorial or acting or, uh, any other passions?
1: I, 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 uh, I, I love acting. I love acting. I live in a building like we talked about before you you started taping. I live, I live in a building that's mostly populated with actors I mean, a lot of great actors live here. A lot of great musicians live here. It's a wonderful place. And um, acting was the first th- I don't know. Something happened. I, I think I, I always felt I had to make a decision. And this, right, is, one the, right. one, this is one of the things that have, have haunted me my whole life. I wish, I wish that I could have made a decision where I'm going to do one thing 100% of the time. Yeah. And plunge myself into that, but i couldn't do it I still can't do it. I still play in a band i still study my in- i still work on my instrument i still i still write i am I'm, I'm a father and a husband i'm and i have a job i have a job to support my being a father yeah. and a husband and wanting to play in a band and having the equipment and all,
0: all this stuff so um in fairness, if but, I could do nothing but podcast, I totally would. But I still have to make lattes no, on the side. But a lot of people <laughs> but
1: a lot of people are able to make that kind of decision that we're right. talking about. You know, I, I could never give myself over. I always wanted to. I, I always wanted. I, and you know what? I'm getting a little crossed up with my. my I always wanted to be the person that was extremely focused. But I'm right. extremely focused when I'm writing a play. I'm ex- focused on writing the play. When I'm not writing the play, I can be focused on something else. But I think that applies to me as well. Yeah, one takes, sometimes they they do add to each other. They enhance each other. But uh, I I I really believe if I really focus on being an actor, if I really focus on just being a player and not playing in the band, maybe I'd be one of those guys. We call it the. Uh, woodshedding it like going into the wood into, the, the, into the, the woodshed picking up the instrument and not putting it down for 10 years Right, you know, and that's what you do you're, you're that guy but I couldn't be that guy I, I'm, a, I'm surrounded here by great musicians and great actors and, and, and great writers that um, I've always done right now I've been writing writing plays and playing music that's what I've been doing and uh, this, uh, this new one is uh, something that uh, uh, it's very different f- from anything I've written before. And that's, why, that's one of the reasons I sent it to you guys, because uh, you don't know me, I didn't know you, and I wanted to see what would happen. And uh, I'm very pleasantly, uh, n- not, not, not surprised, but it was, a, it was a very good experience for me. To hear what you guys to said about it, you know. Hear what you guys said about it, and there were things that had come up before, not said necessarily the same way, but uh, but really clued me into what the play does. And uh, I'm working on rewrites now for the event I was telling you about.
0: Yeah. Well, before, uh, before we get any further into old wounds, can I probe you uh, one more time about the building you're in? Because you had a lot of interesting things to say about that building before we started the interview. Um, no,
1: the, the building, the, there's a movie that's come. They made, they made a movie about it, a little documentary called The Miracle on 43rd Street. And, the, and it is a miracle. The, the neighborhood was very depressed. I don't know, I, know if, I don't know if you've watched the HBO series uh, The Deuce.
0: I have not, but I've heard about it. I've been wanting to see it. Well, that's what this neighborhood was like. Right. If you look at that, that's
1: what this neighborhood was like. And nobody wanted to live here. They built these two luxury buildings, big apartment buildings, and nobody moved in. This is my interpretation. I couldn't be wrong. So if you get calls, just say, Ian apologizes. But anyway, um, so a few years uh, about. When they finished the building and no one moved in, a sign went up at Actors Equity, and I would always go to the to the lounge and look at what was casting and all that stuff. And I saw that there were apartments available at Manhattan Plaza, so I went to look at it. They were great apartments, and they were going to be federally subsidized for actors, writers, musicians, anybody in the performing arts. But you had to qualify to get in. And um, I remember I went down and I filled out all the forms. And uh, I qualified, and I got in in uh, nice. 1977. 1977 is when I got
0: in. Which, and as I, you I pointed out, was a few yes. years before me. Just just a couple. Yes, three
1: years before you were born. Uh, but uh, Angela Lansbury lived on my floor. Uh, Which Tennessee reminds me, I need to get on that
0: proposal. I, I gotta, <laughs> I've I got had this plan in my head for ten years. I'm going to marry Angela Lansbury. I've never wavered. few things uh, <laughs> in my life have remained as constant. <laughs> well... That's that's lovely. Anyway. <laughs> the time, clock is ticking, anyway. so I got to get on that.
1: <laughs> but anyway, she lived on my floor, and um, uh, Tennessee Williams lived on, I think, on the top floor. I mean, it was a great—it's a great building. It still is a great building.
0: Like honestly, I would pay. I would pay to you just two of your anecdotes so far. Like if if this is any indication of your other writing, just these two anecdotes. Living with Tennessee Williams, Alicia Keys, and Angela Lansbury, that's a play I would yeah. watch. I would totally watch that as a play. I would also I would watch the 10-minute one-man play about uh, a writer and the development of the technology of what he writes on. I—I I When you told that story earlier, I just had oh. this visual of ripping the paper out of the typewriter. and I'm just too f-ing anal to have to. <laughs> uh,
1: Julie, Julie Bavasso, we used to go to Julie Bavasso's apartment after the class. And she'd have a new play she was working on. And uh, she'd give it, us out, give it out to us as students. And I remember that we'd get to a part and there was, a, oh, no, 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 read this page. And she'd hand a page and she'd hand six pages to everybody. They were all crumbled up and just clipped together and stuff. And uh, it, it made me crazy. I couldn't handle all the different, the different pages and to having to retype everything. I thought, oh, my God. And then, and then I learned Word Perfect. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I don't have to do is backspace. All I have to do is uh, make a, you know, a hard return and throw something in and split it all up because I, like I was telling you, monologues came easy to me. I could mm-hmm. write a monologue. They still come easy. You know, I could write a monologue, but dialogue. So I'd write the monologue and the the character would say something. And then I'd imagine the other guy sitting there answering. And I, and uh, it, it was a, it really it's true and and it's it's almost embarrassing to say, but the technology enabled me to be a writer. I just did not have the patience. Another thing, my brain goes fast. Yeah, things happen fast with me. And if I don't, if my fingers don't get it into the keyboard quickly enough, I'm going to lose it.
0: But without further ado, the thing I really want to talk about is uh, old wounds. Um, sure. So. Before we go into a discussion about old wounds, um, could you please uh, just give us kind of a brief setup as to what the uh, what the content of the play is, and then if you could set up the monologue that uh, you were going to provide. Okay,
1: sure. Um, I have to be be very on- I'll be very honest about the play. It's it's probably the first play I ro- wrote that was stream of consciousness. I had a lot of uh, um issues with the the there's the alien factor that, you know with uh, one character Bennett will say somewhere on page 8 imply that he's from another planet and that he could read minds and uh um, I remember thinking, well, maybe this is too confusing. Why should I, maybe I, let me cut all that stuff out and just make it a simple thing. But it, 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 it didn't, I didn't do that. I, I started to, I missed it and I went back to it. I kept going back and forth with it and kept thinking that I needed to explain the craziness in the play somehow. I needed to explain everything. And I found that when I explained it in the dialogue or in the, act, in the action or whatever, the, the play became less interesting. So I decided to just leave it alone, and if people don't get it, they don't get it. If they do get it, fine. And um, that's where the where the play is is now. But anyway, Harry is an is a man. I'd say he's about he could be anywhere from forty five to seventy five. The character. I mean, I've made them older, but with a with a director friend of mine, we've we've played with the ages of the guys. But they, but they could be anyway I, but they're older, they're, they're, they're older guys, and they're not your age. <laughs> but anyway, right. they, um, they've been through a lot. This guy is, wakes up in the hospital in what he thinks is a hospital. He has no idea where he is, how he got there. He has some vague memory of collapsing, but he doesn't know much, and sitting opposite him is his friend Bennett, who he's known for forever. And uh, he wakes up in the hospital, and uh, he's very confused. And he looks to Bennett for answers. And as the play as the play pr- progresses, we learn. Hopefully, we learn. I don't know that we actually do learn anything. Well, we do learn, but uh, we don't learn. Um, it, it's an abstract kind. Of, it's abstract. It's an absurd kind of play. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to hit the nail on the head. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to basically write whatever came into my brain, and just to see what it was and explore it, which is what I've been doing. I I don't know if that's uh, good playwriting or not, but um, it's something that uh, I wanted to try. I I wanted to see what would happen, and old wounds is what happened.
0: Wow, <laughs> and it definitely shows. Um, so. Can you just go ahead and set up uh, the oh, model? Okay, that the you're model sure.
1: There's a. Let me just find it in my little uh, my my script here. Okay. But anyway, this is what happened: is he's he's upset. He's he's upset about this the situation going on in the hospital. He hasn't seen a doctor or anything, and uh, he's complaining. He's complaining to his friend Bennett about it. And it starts uh, where where we hear we hear we hear kind of music sound here pointed specific and cold experimental music, or the sounds of breath and machinery. Lights up on a team of masked surgeons surrounding a patient preparing to make their first cut. Not far away, the goat. Yes, there's a goat in this play. Observes. The music fades as the surgeons begin to operate. Soon, the goat. D- Disappears after a short while, still on his bed. Harry talks to us. It was strange to be able to watch the surgeon cutting me open, but I didn't feel a thing. And soon, I didn't know where I was or what I was. At times, I thought I was flying, weightless. It was as if I was a balloon that floated to the top of the room. I made its home in a corner, hovering between the shelves of equipment, the ceiling, and the wall. I found myself watching them work. God, they were good. Such precision, not a wasted move. I just sat down and watched the show. Sat down. How could I sit? There was nothing to sit on. I crouched into a fetal position, and for a moment, I forgot why I was there. Then I saw me. I didn't like the way I looked. Ugly and pasty, a lifeless piece of white, bloody meat. I imagine myself roasted with carrots, potatoes, and onions all around me, and my stupid relatives feasting on me. We hear the sounds of a noisy family dinner, people talking at once, at first softly, but soon grows in volume. At this point, their dialogue can be improvised, improvised, or mashed and distorted as in a dream. My nephew, Andrew, with with my drumstick, making a pig of himself, blood, grease, and small pieces of my dark meat and crispy skin on his face. Everyone thinks he's so cute and they cheer him on, applauding him for every stupid little thing he does, eating being the biggest crowd pleaser of all. Look at him go, kids sure can eat. And my sister Liz, chewing on thin slices of my breast meat, complaining how dry it is, overcut. And my asshole brother-in-law, tossing my roasted testicles in the air and popping them in his mouth like cracker jacks. Oops, I missed. They make me sick. Idiots, all of them. Stuffing their stupid faces with old meat, fat, sugar, and salt. Me, God, I hate them. It surprises me how much. I never intended to become a hateful person, but there it is. Even the little ones who I have no business hating yet, they're horrible too their greedy little faces they want everything and everyone we're all there just for the taking maybe this is what getting older is about after a while you hate the world and what it's become and soon it's time to
0: leave it that's it okay let's talk about this play um (laughs) Well, first off, um, I want to say that this is one of those, uh, this is one of those plays that I had the pleasure of actually not just recording the reading, but partaking in the reading. Oh, okay, um, Great. This is also the second play I want to say we've done, uh, in this reading series, um, that has kind of delved into a science fiction element. We had, yeah. uh, we had a play earlier this year, um, that dealt with kind of a... It was a little bit ambiguous as to whether it was another planet or another world or another time. Um, This one, there's no ambiguity. (laughs) There's (laughs) clearly... um, And, I mean, this is something that Lauren uh, briefed me on because one of the key things about this program is that we, other than Lauren, artistic director, um, and the other people, you know, who are in charge of facilitating... The company members and the readers in the play generally go in with very, very little information. And right. all Lauren told me about this was there are aliens. And I said, all right, bring it on. <laughs> um, so you know,
1: you know all the aliens in the play. You know this whole thing, thing about him being, a, being an alien in the stage directions. There was nothing that makes him look like an alien.
0: We oh, I imagined is that, that's what I imagined reading it. Um, yeah. I think it, it even, I think it even, it does say that, I think in the same directions that there's how, no How could you read it cold? Element.
1: I don't see how people could read this play cold. We made uh, it work. Yeah, it did, I, had, okay. I had to well, read... I listened to it, it was all right. It was good. But, you know, I, I mean...
0: Well, I mean, it's one thing to read the two lead male characters cold. It's another thing to turn the page, have it be my turn, and realize that's not English. <laughs> well... Let's go with it. So, actually, why don't I just jump in there? Can we talk about the alien language? How did how um, did you come up well, with you that? Know,
1: you mean? The the, the stuff yes. with, the, with the nurses? Oh, I made I made that up. You know, that was, I I I thought. You know, I had an ex- personal experience where in in a, in a hospital years and years ago, where the nurse came in. She was trying to do something to me, and she spoke some Eastern European language. Language, I had no idea what I was talking about, and basically. Um, I had read an article in the Times about the guy who invents the languages in Game of Thrones. In Games of Game of Thrones.
0: Mm-hmm. Like Dothraki. And he
1: talked about how he did it. And I thought, let me see if I can maybe I can do that in my place. So I, I wanted them to be Eastern European, but I didn't know what language it would be. So I I used Google Translate and um I used and I picked the certain languages I liked and I picked words from the languages that I liked and I used them. So some people <laughs> My Jewish friends, as I'm Jewish, thought, "Oh, you made them Yiddish." So no no, "No, no, no, they're not Yiddish. Not everything is Yiddish, you know." But um,
0: honestly, uh, I I would not have blamed you if you'd snuck in a little bit of Yiddish here and there, just one just a word or two, just throw it in. Something that number. starts
1: with a K, but K is funny. That's a good <laughs> sense.
0: Well, again, like it's going back to the going back to the nurses, it it definitely. Runs and I, I I appreciate that you put for us the um the human oh, translation the with it so we could get the content which is almost, actually funny didn't. um the uh one, one more you know train track jump and then we'll get back to old wounds but it's uh, uh are you familiar with the movie Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: No, I'm not familiar with it, but I will tell you, I'm a big or was a big comic book yeah. fan, especially so, you know, char- a Marvel yeah. fan. But I know, you know. Yeah.
0: So the so the character um, Vin Diesel does the voice of a tree monster named Groot, and his he can only say he's an alien that can only say three words: "I am Groot." He can only say those three words. It's great. Um, but every line has a different emotion because Vin Diesel had a script that no one else had. Uh, that had all of his lines, the meaning behind every "I am Groot, so it became "I am Groot, I am groot I am, it, it was a really, really neat really neat tool great. for the actor, and it, and you've clearly you' done to him The other actors
1: didn't know so it kept it from the other actors what well because there's there's
0: one there's only one other all. character that can understand him, so the audience gets it from right. him saying, "No, that's not a hat or like some kind of reaction to whatever he's just said. That's um, good. That's
1: that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You know, I was in. I, I studied this uh, Chekhov method of acting, mm-hmm. and uh, we used to take one of the things we had to do. We'd have a large ball and we'd bounce it, and everybody had to say some 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 something like, um, uh, "Let's go to work now." And you'd take the ball and you'd say, "Let's go to work now," like you don't want to go to work. And then someone else would take the ball and throw it. I'd toss it in the air lightly and say, "Let's go to work now." So it was all these different ways of uh, saying or saying the lines. To, you know, because you know you could say anything; it could mean anything. The words mean nothing. They're they're just what they're saying. That's another thing about old wounds that I tried to do: that the words aren't necessarily true. You know that they. You
0: know, which I love because I love unreliability in in uh plays. Um yeah. and I guess I'm well, curious yeah. uh, I the next thing I wanted to ask is um can you tell me a little bit about the relationship of the two uh lead characters?
1: Sure. Um I based them on uh, friends of mine. Um
0: their, their conversation seemed very, very snappy and quick. Like they, I knew they had to come from somewhere. Like yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I have a, I, I have a few friends that uh, many couples that are close to me that we've uh, been together a long time. And my brother, and my brother and I would be watching Star Trek, and we'd watch Star Trek, and I'd say, um, and I'd say something to him after Star Trek like. Uh, you want anything? You you want anything in the refrigerator? And you go and you would answer me, Captain, <laughs> or, or, or something, or say something like we would just go snap right into a Star Trek episode. And I thought like that these guys, Harry and Bennett, they they do that. They have mm-hmm. a game. They have a game that they play, and uh, not unlike my brother and I play. There are sometimes uh, there's a moment in old wounds. It's my favorite personal moment that I that I my. Moment that I love, where um, where where Harry looks at the uh, looks at Bennett and goes, "I like that you called me Captain," <laughs> <laughs> and 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 to me it to me it's just like that encompasses the play. Like there's all this stuff going on, and what he likes that he called him Captain because in the old days he used to call him Captain. He was Kirk, and he was Spock. And that's what they called each other.
0: Well, I just have one more question about old wounds because it's been burning uh, this whole interview. What is the goat? Please tell me what the goat. Is. The goat. Well,
1: I'll tell you. Um, let me tell you where where the goat comes from. I had just written the scene. I was doing a, one of the thousands of re- rewrites on this play that I had done, and I just came up with the idea that uh, he pulls the lights out, that uh, Bennett accidentally pulls the lights out under the bed, and, it, and it's dark, and everything is disconnected, and it's totally black, and they can't see anything. And then I just had the thought that he sees a goat, and the only reason, reason I thought that he sees a goat is because it's such a funny little animal. And the goat, and and, um, I remember I made it a goat. And then I went online and I looked at what what, what a goat means. I just made him a goat because I liked the way a goat looked. And I read that the goat was in some ways devil and the ram's horns and all this kind of stuff. And then I read another thing that, which I loved, that it was a happy animal. It was one of the happy one of the one of the happier animals and had a funny little face and it made a funny sound and it was friendly. And then I thought he sees a goat because the goat he's terrified and he looks out the window and he sees a goat and the goat makes him feel better. I had initially thought that the goat was going to be terrifying, but I real but but then I started thinking
0: I like that. that. I, better. I really like that. Yeah,
1: he's 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 a calming influence. Oh, and God, in this yeah. rewrite that I'm working on, is that the. Um, is that and I got it from you guys uh questioning the goat. I remember I was listening to the tape and some guy said, "What the fuck? What's the goat?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately had to leave uh for another theatrical job before the feedback part of oh, the day, the so I missed that. <laughs> was,
1: the feedback, the feedback part was was a fabulous help to me. Wonderful.
0: And course, that's and that's always what, what I, mean? I want to know, yeah. You you
1: you know I don't know how the play is going to impact. You know everyone who's seen this play, they know me, they know what I've written, they know my history, they know they sort of know what to expect from me, and they and they've decided whether they, whether they like me or not. They've decided, you know, and they come in and they hear they have an opinion, but you guys totally fresh, new eyes, new ears, new elephant ears, and. um uh, it was a totally new experience, and I'm glad I sent the plane, and I'm, and I'm glad I got to hear what you guys could do, I mean, what you guys did with it. I mean, I, I uh, it was very helpful to me. And a lot of what the what, the, what you said were in some comments that I got from other people, and I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting, you know. So it, it's all very helpful, it's all very helpful.
0: Well, I am really, really glad that the feedback worked out, and I am oh. so glad that this was a part of our series. Um, uh, this is, uh, we've actually, um, in on the Philadelphia side of things, we actually had to take a brief pause from Ears because we were mounting um, a Fringe production, uh, which was very, very successful, and I was very proud Good to be a part of it, but I i did miss this kind of monthly gathering of new work. Um so I'm very happy to be on the Philly end of it, jumping back into things. And I'm very glad that I had the opportunity and I wish the absolute best for old wounds. Thank you. And I really hope that, um, you'll send us some more stuff in the future. Cause I would love to hear more from you and I would love to talk to you more about superheroes. So oh, <laughs> that segues. Normally I end these episodes with some kind of fun theatrical question. um, My go-to question is usually if you could share a drink with uh, any character from a play, who would it be? But I think – I feel like I need to mix it up because of our comments on sci-fi and uh, comic books. Um, Uh And due to the nature of uh, this piece, I'm going to jump the gun and say if you could share a drink with a sci-fi or comic book character – Who would it be and why? And if you feel so obligated, you can even say what the drink is.
1: Oh, Lord. Comic book (laughs) character. That's a toughie. I'm thinking of who my favorite comic book characters were. If I could sit down and have a conversation, I think I'd probably want to talk to a villain. Ooh. I could see that. I think I'd probably want to talk to a villain. Someone like Lex Luthor. Someone, I feel you know, like a, a DC guy. Depend, depending
0: depending you know, on some, depending on which Lex you pick, um, I think I'm talking about
1: the bald Lex Luthor from the comics. Yeah, I'm down with that. You know, I'm talking about him because you know, well,
0: because he's also or, depending he's on how he's written. Him. He's one of those more like sometimes, sometimes he's off his rocker, and sometimes he's you know, yeah, dead set on what he thinks is the right thing, but it's not.
1: Okay. Right. Well, you know what they they they're twisted. The and, best you know, hero, books, the, the best
0: villain thinks they're a hero. That's the What was my favorite
1: villain? villain. There's some villains. You know, did you watch the TV you must have watched the TV Daredevil.
0: I've started it. I've not finished it yet, but I do like it. The guy Wilson the Fisk. guy the, um
1: The line between the hero and the villain is a thin one. The Punisher in the, in the Daredevil. So the line between hero and villain is a thin one. And that's something... That, that's new in comics, by the way. Yeah. You know, that's new. But I, I'd have to say I'd like to be with a... Have a drink with a villain.
0: You know what? I feel like I would... <laughs> I would say this is... I don't know if he's ever really declared himself a hero or a villain. But I would... Uh, if we're going comic book, I'm going with Deadpool. Um, because he is Deadpool uh, from the X Men oh, yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah. That's a funny movie. yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah, and I feel like he's the kind of guy who uh, we would uh, we'd have a good laugh. Um, if he could keep himself sane enough to get through yeah, the drink, it's funny things. Uh, well, fun. Ian, thank you again so 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 much for talking with me today. This was. An incredible conversation, um, and I'm always <laughs> glad to know that there are more comic book lovers in the world.
1: Well, you know, I've kind of outgrown it, but uh, I still you love You never them.
0: outgrow comics.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? Um, even the, the other thing, my friend has a collection of uh, old Crawdaddy and Rolling Stone magazines from the past, and that HBO uh, documentary about uh, Rolling Stone is just... You know that's another thing that I love. I mean, uh, uh, check that out if you you know. We'll do
0: that. Yeah, you I give mean, me a lot of recommendations you, today. You could cut that. You
1: could cut that out of the interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And for all of our other listeners, um, just remember: if you are a playwright with a play you want heard, please send it to erpsubmissions at gmail.com. Remember. Every story deserves to be heard, so join our elephant herd today. Until next time, this is Robert Jean Pellecchio, signing off.